Welcome to Across the Margin Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Shields. Across the Margin Podcast is a proud member of the Osiris Media Group. Head over to OsirisPod.com. Check out all the offerings they have, the live events, a lot going on over there. That is OsirisPod.com. I have an exciting episode for you today, one where I get to talk about one of my favorite bands, The National, and we do that through an interview with author Ryan Pinkard, a music journalist from Denver, Colorado. Ryan is the author of the new 33 and a third book, Boxer, which is the focus of this episode. Boxer is a comprehensive and enlightening oral history of the band that traces the Nationals' early career and struggles, culminating in the creation of their Watershed album. We all know the story of the boxer, that grisly, bruised American allegory of a fighter who somehow gets up more times than he's knocked down. Ryan's 33 and a third book, Boxer, chronicles the fight that nearly broke the national but turned out to be the one that allowed them to become champions. Released in 2007, the Nationals' fourth full-length album is the masterpiece that eventually saved them. For fans, Boxer is a profound personal meditation on the unmagnificent lives of adults, an elegant culmination of their sophisticated songwriting, and the first National album many fell in love with. For the band, Boxer symbolizes an obsession, a years-long struggle, a love story, a final give-it-everything-you've-got effort to keep their fantasy of being a real rock band alive. Based on extensive original interviews with the fighters who were in the ring and the spectators who witnessed it unfold, Ryan obsessively reconstructs a transformative chapter in the national story, revealing how the Ohio via Brooklyn five-piece found the sound, success, and spiritual growth to evolve into one of the most critically acclaimed bands of their time. In this episode... Ryan and I dive deeply into what made Boxer such a game-changing album for the National, while exploring the challenges and pressures the band faced while working on bringing the album to life. We discuss the importance of lead singer Matt Berninger's wife, Corinne, becoming his lyric-writing partner during the Boxer sessions, and how that has shaped the band to this day. We converse upon the political climate of the day that inspired the album's essence, and ultimately, we ruminate on what Boxer means to the band's legacy and their enduring success. Ryan's book, Boxer, is excellent. There are so many fascinating stories that really tell you what the National's about and and just how, how hard they work to make this masterpiece come to life. It's worth noting that he has just begun work on his second book for the 33rd and a third new genre series in which he'll explore the ethereal genre of shoegaze. Can't wait for that. So here it goes. Here is my interview with Ryan Pinkard. Thank you for uh, making the time coming on the program. The uh, the book's great, and I'm excited to, for the opportunity to talk about one of my favorite bands and an album I really, really love. So thanks so much. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm flattered. <laughs> let's get let's get right into the meat of Boxer, um, and I'm sure a lot of national okay. will be listening to this. But um, what uh, what would you say? And it kind of speaks to maybe why you would even want to dive in so so deeply onto into this album. But what would you say makes 
boxer in particular uh, such a special kind of game-changing album for the national? I mean, I think there's a lot of reasons, and I think that's why it felt like a. It was my, you know, it was my first choice. I think when I thought I'd propose a book about one of their albums. And then as I researched and looked into it and got to know the story behind it, it only confirmed kind of my suspicions. But um, I don't know. I think in my case, and for many loyal fans, maybe maybe for you, like uh, Boxer was their introduction to the National. And it was for a lot of people um, because, it, because it was their breakthrough album of sorts. Um, and for good reason. Like it was, it was, the, it was a culmination um, for the band, you know, in their early career in a lot of ways, like I think artistically, um, it's this kind of full realization of their fairly unique sound, um, which includes, you know, both the, the, the music and the lyrics, which are kind of two kind of, you know, separate elements in terms of, you know, how the band works on the music. Um, and I think, you know, for the band, it was just their most hard fought album. Um, and likely the one that um, kind of saved them from falling apart or giving up in kind of a, a critical moment in their trajectory. Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, at the, at, I think it's where they kind of found exactly um, who they are and, and what they could be, uh, kind of reaching their potential in a way. But I, I want to go exactly where, where you were kind of alluding to and kind of finish with that answer. There was a lot of challenges and maybe even more pressures on the band um when it came to you know what boxer was supposed to be for them and, and what could happen if boxer didn't go well um and and you really dive into it in a really uh impressive and thorough way in the book of what 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 they were up against so i was wondering if you could talk about that some some of these challenges of bringing to life but even you know just kind of more sharpened the 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 pressures that they felt with with boxer it was it was it was a lot coming after the the you know critical reception of uh what you describe as which i love boxer's ornery little brother uh alligator so there's a lot of pressures on them yeah i mean um like i think those two albums are um kind of very closely related um and i always felt that before i even looked into it like you know the, the artwork kind of is similar and um you know like they're just they they feel they feel really connected um but yeah i mean like um the creation of this album came at a, a real crossroads for the band um like a, i mean a lot of people don't know that the national formed all the way back in 1999 um and so like by the time they got to boxer they you know they'd been working they've been slogging for seven or eight years um like you know and it with little success they were self-funding their albums and tours they were touring aggressively trying to you know like sow the seeds of like uh an audience um and digging themselves you know into debt while doing so um Alligator was, um, you know, the their first minor victory. They got signed, you know, that, that's the album, their their debut on Beggar's Banquet Records, um, which was, you know, it's a respectable indie with a lot of history on it. Um, and, you know, that album was, you know, got them 
their first bit of, you know, minor attention. But, um, you know, they, especially in this time in indie rock and like, uh, it, you know, they, they knew better than anyone that like, you know, like, like that wasn't enough to make a career. Like they, they knew they had to follow it up with something, you know, they didn't want to be one of those one album bands that, you know, Pitchfork like kind of, you know, gives a little praise to, and then, you know, like their yesterday's news. Um, and so, you know, I think a lot of the pressure was put upon themselves. A lot of it was imagined. I think this is, you know, kind of how the, the band operates. Like they are kind of competitive and they are hyper self-aware. And so, you know, I think a lot of it was just like they they had a sense, you know, and also just in terms of their spiritual energy that they had at that point after so much trying and not really, you know, feeling like they're getting any, you know, major traction meanwhile witnessing bands in new york at the time from the strokes and interpol uh to you know um more recent bands like just shoot out you know like fireworks in front of them um like it was i think it it i don't know how it couldn't affect you like and make you feel kind of i don't know make you doubt yourself a lot and so i think you know um they they felt like this might be their last chance before they kind of gave up <laughs> which is wild to think about in you know behind you know in the rear view because they've you know they've shown more kind of uh consistency um and staying power than almost any of their contemporaries um but you know at the time like they 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 figured you know they might not get a chance to try again for all these reasons um and you know i think a lot of bands would kind of break sooner than they you know up to that point but um like you know i think they they th- they kind of thrive in that underdog position um and i think being in that position only fueled their ambitions for this album um which is what makes it you know certainly in my mind a a, a, a leap ahead of alligator which is now my love but you know it's kind of a straight up indie rock record and suddenly you know they came thinking this might be their last shot they threw everything they could at it and they spent more time than any band should like trying to you know make this album like something special um (laughs) you could you could get the sense when you're reading it kind of you know the the perfectionist in them and just just how much they they wanted to get it right and you know that that caused some inner strife here and there and yeah i mean i mean you know we're obviously there's so much in your book that we're not going to touch on all the challenges and all the pressures but i mean you know there's these other things happening i mean aaron is you know struggling with some depression there's you know you're right they're financing the whole thing i didn't realize that matt was um financed all of sad songs and you know, there's just it, there was a lot they were up against, and um, uh, just something that that kind of kept coming up uh, time and time again throughout uh, your examination of Boxer that I want to bring up right now is uh, there was something else hanging over them, and 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 it did influence the album. It was kind of what was going on politically at the time. There was this heavy influence of these people who care about what's going on in the world and are in tune with what's going on in the world. And I was wondering if you can speak on that some, how, you know, we're talking around 2004 and so on. There's an election then, but, um, you know, politically, how did, you know, uh, what was happening in the uh, ether at that time uh, affect the, the whole band, really? I was going to say Matt's writing, but the whole band. How, how, what, what, uh, 
what was the political influence on the album? Sure. I mean, um, like I would say Boxer is not a political album and the National doesn't really record like political songs. But as you and most bands, you know, know, they are politically engaged and outspoken. Um, and, you know, like it, it, it seems almost quaint uh today with the you know the way the world kind of feels at times but like at that time i mean um you have to put yourself in especially in new york post 9-11 they're you know in they've lived through 9-11 they're in the the second um term of george w bush and you know at that time at that age i think in that place you just you know it similar to how it does now like the, the there was a darkness there was a cloud um that kind of like penetrated it soaked into this record spiritually um and you know there's there's there are small lyrical kind of um references to that um in terms of like um fake empire being a very kind of a song about being kind of disillusioned by the times and like kind of just you know feeling feeling the weight <laughs> of that and you know seeking some sort of escape um i think this um i think this album has a whole lot of escapism on it um especially for matt um in his songwriting but i think you know um i think that comes through in the music too like like the the music without the lyrics is still you know has all the the feelings that you know the lyrics kind of just emphasize and i think matt told me something along those lines so you know like like he takes these kind of melodies and sounds that Aaron and Bryce and the others cook up and, you know, like, you know, responds to that with his lyrics. So, um, but yeah, it's just, you know, like it was a, it was just kind of, it's just kind of soaked into it. And then it's funny that, you know, um, and poetic um, in the way I put it in the book that, you know, the song like Fake Empire, um, which becomes their signature song of sorts um, and is about, you know, like, this kind of world weariness um, goes on to like soundtrack the hope and change uh, of Barack Obama's uh, like first presidential campaign. <laughs> it's really, it's wild. It's, it's kind of like the arc of boxer kind of goes from the hopelessness of like the 2004 election. And, and you're I'm glad you mentioned that, you know, kind of relative, you know, I think people almost look back at, the George Bush years and, and, and see them almost differently, but it was a dark time. There was a cloud, there was Katrina, there was, you know, a buildup of troops. Guantanamo. Like, yeah. Guantanamo, uh, the whole, everything. And yeah, I think, I think like, I think Corinne, uh, Matt's wife and co-writer, like, you know, described it as like, um, I don't know, the first time, you know, these people, they were coming of age, you know, it was the first time all those years when, you know, they kind of lost a lot of, faith <laughs> in like the government uh, or you know just like like i don't know like a lot of institutions suddenly seemed kind of hollow <laughs> to them absolutely so corinne let's get into it this was um a big part of the book and you know the album is their love story but really notably um you know this is where she really became a lyrical partner with matt and that's something that's really stretched into all their work we see we see it in just all, all their albums now. And it's really something that is part of what they do. And the Boxer Sessions is just a big part of this story. So 
Could you talk a little bit about how they started working together and kind of their working relationship and how she, um, you know, kind of took what she does for a living and found it a way to make Matt, um, you know, a better songwriter and to become a songwriting team? Sure. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I don't think you can overstate the impact uh, Corinne Besser has had on the band um, since Boxer. Um, she is kind of the the sixth beetle the sixth you know like uh man on the team um and you know um even gives matt kind of a nice like you know given that he's in a band with two sets of brothers gives him a little kind of like <laughs> give some balance to all that but um yeah i mean corinne um and matt i think met between um sad songs and alligator um and their kind of cute love story is in the book but um like it was around, you know, it was around the time that they started working on Boxer that they moved in together in Brooklyn um, for the first time, which is, you know, if anyone's just experienced that, is a, a significant moment uh, in a relationship. It's also, uh, you know, it's an uncertain and often challenging time. Um, um, but, um, and so, you know, Matt's lyrics i think were deeply affected by that um when it comes to songs like brainy ada slow show apartment story like those you know those are kind of about that so you know she's also you know their in their relationship is kind of amused for this album um but i think even more more crucially like corinne was uh, at the time a, a fiction editor at the new yorker um uh, a literary badass shall we say and um and so, you know, suddenly when they're living together and Matt's scribbling his lyrics down through his notebooks as he as he does, um, you know, she was there and she was, you know, she was giving him feedback. She's making suggestions. She was, you know, adding lines herself. Um, she was, you know, assigning him authors and poets to, to read that kind of elevated his songwriting and inspired him um you know in particular uh i mentioned in the book um the you know the like the the story the swimmer by john cheever you know had a a massive impact and even you know almost influenced the name of the album um um but you know like put simply like i mean like matt berninger is a great writer um but every great writer needs a great editor um and you know that's been their dynamic ever since um and you know yet another you know point of poetry um in the album story is how you know like like you know they're kind of like wrestling romantically through the creation of this album and then writing about that and then you know like the summer the album came out they they got married and they've uh, you know been together ever since and you know they continue to collaborate on not just national songs but uh you know now uh film and uh stage productions and um i don't know uh yeah she's uh she's important <laughs> certainly like you said it can't be understated i mean simply put he said um you know the you, you point out he said she wouldn't let me be lazy about my writing which is so so crucial um there's a chapter i want to talk about and that is where uh it's about the tour with clap your hands and say yeah and i i <laughs> This one really hit home. I was um I was at one of the shows in Brooklyn and 
you know, I didn't know that there was a thing when it was happening. And so when the place you were, you were out, there for one of the shows, yes, I was at, I was at Warsaw in Brooklyn and uh, wow. when people cleared out, I didn't know what was, ha- I didn't make sense to me. Cause I'm, I mean, I, I honestly was there. I knew about clapping. I say, yeah, them who didn't, the buzz was strong, but I thought people were, you know, like I was like, wow, you know, everyone's excited, would be excited about national. And actually it's one of my shows that I, think about that's like really near and dear to my heart because it felt it you know the fact that it cleared out i mean national killed it still and there was like an intimacy and i'm moving around i'm able to walk up close to the stage and the whole thing but can you tell us a little bit about what it meant when they did get kind of relegated and people were leaving these shows and and what it did to them as a band because i mean it it, it's got to affect you to be you know the headliner and you know people are leaving your show and it 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 became a story and, and it helped them in certain ways and I was wondering if you could speak on that some yeah um I mean just for those who don't know the story already um like it's you know like like what happened was um the national releases alligator in I think April 2005 um you know, they give a, it's a modest success. Um, I think Titchrick gave them a 7.9, which, um, you know, that was, this was the peak of their influence and that meant something. And, um, and, you know, it gave them enough momentum to book their first real headlining tour at small venues across North America. Um, and when they booked this tour, like the, the opener they booked uh, was this then unknown Brooklyn via Philly band called clap your hands say yeah um and so you know they announced the tour they book clap your hands and then before the tour starts in the fall that summer clap your hands um releases their self-titled self-recorded self-released like debut um which just blows up overnight and you know makes them the indie it band of that of that summer really um and and you know like uh and so what happens you know when tour begins um is that uh as you can attest to and i think it's amazing that you were there at one of these shows um like you know like like the opener plays every you know their shows are sold out the band is stoked and then this weird phenomenon happens where like half the crowd who came to see clap your hands it turns out empties out um leaving the national like in a pretty awkward spot and feeling pretty embarrassed and ashamed and you know um and it you know i think warsaw was you know one of the first shows on that tour but it, you know this continued to the point where um you know like given you know that like a a headliner is you know the one that's making all the money like they had to negotiate kind of a shift and ended up you know like being relegated to opener half the time it was basically like a co-headlining tour but um you know like like that was to be demoted um from your big moment was pretty deflating to them and i think in a in a more than most other things fueled that ambition and competitiveness that you know went into um boxer (laughs) um I forget if uh, he had another question about that. <laughs> no, no, no. I just I think the other part would be that uh, is that you know some of you know some of that is it like you said it's embarrassing. It's got to you know and it does ignite your flame a little bit. But I mean, people heard about the story 
too. And yeah. People, you know, people, people, you know, found out about it. And it's another way that people, you know, fell into finding out about the national is cool. It's really, it's really looking back now. It's a really interesting antidote just because of their success. And, and just like, sure. It's... And clap your hands. So yeah, is one of those like one album wonders in the rear view. Um, and, you know, I should mention like, this is like one of my favorite stories in the book, if not the favorite story. I think it's probably the one that the, the band dislikes the most uh, between, you know, I think still being a bit damaged and embarrassed by it, as well as just being nice guys who don't want to, you know, create beefs or anything like they are. They remain friends with uh, clap your hands. But um, but it, you know, other people close to the band uh, could, you know, attested uh, to me that like this, you know, this 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 was not a cheery moment and it, you know, it fueled like a real fire in their bellies. Um, but like you said, um, like it, it, it did have a happy accident in terms of, you know, getting their name out there, even if they were the, sort of the butt of a joke. Um, like it, it, it did help people find them. And, uh, you know, I think that's one of the, the, the several factors uh, that kind of, you know, helped make Boxer, a much bigger breakthrough and success besides the greatness of the music itself. Absolutely. What's um, what's interesting, and I had no idea about this. I learned in your book is, um, you know, for people who were uh, really international and they're come up all the way through boxer. One thing that, you know, really was a a part of the spectacle of their shows once their shows started, you know, really taking off and getting a lot better was you know, uh, Matt's screaming. It was really it kind of culminated nights and, you know, some of their bigger songs and bigger moments. But I didn't realize this until I read Year 33 and a Third uh, that he went ahead and made a no screaming rule for Boxer, which is wild. There's a risk there and, and and you know, cutting out one of your biggest kind of attractions. But what did, um, you know, what do you think that did to the album? And, and uh, you know, and, and maybe even why that Matt, Matt wanted to step away from that. I'd like to hear, you know, why Matt first off would not, you know, want to cut out that part of him from boxer. Yeah. I think, you know, from Matt, he, I think there was some degree of him, like just wanting to kind of steer the ship in a different way um, artistically. Um, but he also told me, you know, talked about how like, that you know like when he when he does get up on stage and scream his guts out um on songs like mr november or older hits like available um like like he did talk about it like you know it took him to some dark place that he just he didn't want to visit more and he he didn't want you know i think he said he didn't want you know it to like crystallize inside of him in a way so he just i think he really wanted um, you know, to move past that because, you know, if you look at his personal life at the time, you know, he like he he was, you know, settling down a little. He like things, you know, I think he was a a more angsty kind of like dude in a lot of ways, or at least his art was kind of, you know, fueled by some of those emotions more than when, you know, by the time he's settling with Corinne a little and like, you know, like I, I just, I think it just ultimately just felt like spiritually like you know a place he didn't he didn't even relate to at that time um ironically you know he made this strict rule and you know the band the whole band had to kind of 
shift the sound and find a way to make engaging songs without those like showstoppers, um, which was a challenge. Um, but then, you know, like suddenly they start playing this album live and like Squalor Victoria becomes like one of their most regular screamers. Like you start, you know, every live rendition he does, he, you know, at the end he just like screams his freaking vocal cords out. Um, so, you know, he can still go there and it's still a, it's up their sleeve. But yeah, I think, uh, I think it was it was certainly did not make the band's life any harder, but um, it's hard to, I don't know. It certainly, it, it, I think it forced them to discover new things and new gears they had, um, and and you know I think Aaron and Bryce more than anyone talked about how this album is where they found that new gear that you know when they discovered that you know it's not just those those screamer songs or those you know those those kind of bombastic songs that uh crowds are looking for like 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 they you know like just as important to the band as those kind of oddball songs as they called them that like like that are have weird time signatures or don't you don't know why they work uh and they're a little even you know like i don't know pretentious <laughs> in concept like uh they're you know that's a vital gear for the band um and you know like most of my favorite songs are those oddballs <laughs> me too me too they, yeah and i mean they found different ways that you don't need the screams to kind of bring to that crescendo just look at the the end of fake empire where they i mean it comes to kind of a crescendo scream in its own different way with just you know the band doing their thing um you described and i and and, and critics that you you talked to in the book um and i couldn't uh, stand by this more as boxer as a grower um it's it's something you know it takes you know, with these with these really, you know, uh, interesting and and kind of skewed imagery and the lyrics and everything. It's 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 a lot to chew on. And it, it, it does. It grows on you. It grew on me. I'm still finding I'm still, you know, I, I relate to it in different ways as, as I go through life and the whole thing. But, um, you know, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit how it was a grower, not only just to you personally, but also kind of to the way it affected its initial release and its critical reception because it did kind of, um, you know, I, I guess it, it did well, but it also, you know, over time it was continually doing well and growing on people and, and, and just, you know, uh, finding uh, its audience in a way that, that speaks to it being, being such a grower. So if you could talk about some of that, I'd love to hear about it. Yeah. I mean, like I, 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 I kind of hated like, defending it as a grower in a way in a way only because it, it just feels like lazy rock criticism you know that you like uh you know like oh you know like you can get stockholm syndrome from listening to anything probably you know like is it just that uh, <laughs> but like but um you know but i think it, it it really is true and a lot of people have echoed it i mean uh especially fans like have have you know experienced how certainly for me how it's like you know it, this album does grow with you not just it you know it gets better over time um and you know reveals new rewards um but it uh i don't know it, it's just it just it takes on its own life um in so many ways and you know i suspect uh i theorize that it you know has something to do with both the lyrics and the music um in the you know the music in terms of its its complexity and layers like you can you know listen back 
over and over again and hear something new, which is not the case with all, um, you know, indie rock. Like, uh, it's, it's, you know, they like only by listening, you know, and talking about the band and hearing what they were doing on some of these tracks did I start noticing all the layers to that. And then, you know, when Matt, when it comes to Matt's lyrics, they became so, um, you know, which is remains characteristic of his writing is how the, you know, like he, he's, he's, and it's just great writing in general. He's, he's so specific and yet so vague. And, you know, he, he, so he doesn't, you know, he creates a kind of a, a kind of a, an unclear yet specific kind of world that you can continually use your imagination to fill out this world uh, and, you know, take new meaning from it in that way. Um, so I think that's why it's a grower. Um, but, you know, that it, it uh, made the album story all the more interesting and, you know, all the more of a, maybe not a complete struggle, but, you know, as I write in the book, like, like, like the, the, you know, between the clap your hand say yeah tour and earlier like obstacles as well as the just the 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 13 months of work that went into laboring this album up to you know the point like where they turn the album into the, their label um you know like like the the, the final kind of like blow before the album's you know ultimate success was like giving it to the label and getting a response along the lines of like is this it? Like, <laughs> like, is this all you got? Like, uh, the, the label's initial reaction, um, was, you know, at least from high up, uh, and, you know, some people who worked there, like, agreed with it, you know, like, like, the first listen on Box Rate, it was a letdown for them, because, you know, for one thing, they were comparing it to their other records that have those show-stopping screamers, of which Boxer has none, um, and, um, you know, and it requires that, that grower kind of like, like that, the, those repeated lessons to, to reveal it's, you know, it's full kind of self. And so, you know, like the label was a little unsure. Um, thankfully I think critical reception was good, but I don't think anyone at the time was going to call it a classic, um, at the time. Uh, I don't think anyone rightfully could have uh it, it, i don't think it's an album that sounds like that on first listen it's 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 the and it's interesting like it's it's it feels almost mystical you know when an album has that um <laughs> but i think it's you know it's you know for me it's what makes it still my favorite album um you know like i and i listened to it hundreds of times as you can imagine just while writing this book because i had to and I'm shocked, as shocked as anyone that I'm not sick of it. Like it still sounds so good to me. <laughs> same same thing here. I can listen to these songs nonstop, and I have over 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 the years, and they just still hit me. It's amazing. So now that we have, you know, a, a good deal of time um, since it's come out, and you know, after you dove in so deeply and just and, and it's a terrific way. I love this book. Um, what do you think? Uh, what would you speak to as the legacy of Boxer and what it meant to the band um, ultimately, and and you know for for their future uh, moving forward from from two thousand seven to now. Yeah, I mean, um, everyone has their favorite national album, and most of them are like pretty worthy of being that. Um, 
And, you know, like the, the funny thing about the Nationals career is, you know, it's been this just steady, steady rise of, you know, like just like gradual steps up. So like in one way, like they don't have a breakthrough or a keystone or a singular seminal album. Um, I could certainly make a case for multiple others. Um, High Violet, um, or even the run of Boxer to, um, like, uh, Trouble Will Find Me, or, or, um, you know, even, you know, a lot of people, including members of the band, their favorite album is still Alligator, you know? Um, um, but, I think, you know, especially right now, 15 years back into their career, um, like it, you know, it, if you had to choose one album that is the most important for the band, I think it has to be Boxer because, um, you know, it, it was this sort of linchpin, you know, it had, it, it, it had up to that point, you know, they were kind of a, it was a, it, it became a do or die moment for them. Um, where they didn't, you know, so, I mean, if it hadn't have been a success, it, we may not have ever gotten another national album. So it's important in that way. Um, it, it, I think it is the, you know, though they continue to evolve and throw new things in the pot, every album, which is what keeps them so consistently good and refreshing. Um, like this, this was a sort of, you know, full realization in terms of, you know, them understanding all the directions they could keep going like like and they and they and it allowed them to keep going as uh, the way they described it um in and trying new things because they made the you know the harder choice to do something different from alligator or what they'd done before and you know suddenly they found these gears these soft songs these oddballs these uh you know like this is when bryce um you know brought in like a lot of his kind of classical training which they've only kind of grown with over time it's also you know uh the the album where they band collaborating with artists including Sufjan Stevens on a couple of tracks as um um as well as Thomas Bartlett David K Doveman um and you know that has only snowballed into the the national universe that is now that you know ranges from Taylor Swift to Philip Glass to Justin Vernon to uh, you know uh, everyone in between it's uh, it's um, it's so you know it's it's it, and it and it's you know both the growth that they experienced on it and the success that they had because of it you know allowed for everything that came after. Um, so I think that's Boxer's legacy above all. Um, it also, you know, has some of their, some of their best songs. And I, you know, I would defend Fake Empire as, you know, their, their signature song. It's, 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 it, it is for me. <laughs> uh, no, I think for a lot of people. Absolutely. Um, to bring us home, I want to ask personally, um, just, I love the band. I always thought, you know, I, I, I would have loved this deep dive into, you know, uh, one of their albums talking to them and just exploring it, really getting inside it in the way that you did. What was it? What did it mean to you personally to, um, you know, write about the national, uh, you know, work with them on it and, 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 and to talk particularly about this album and, and, and um, even, you know, kind of combine two questions, but like, it's, there's, there's had to be a lot into, you know, the process of really, 
you know, getting into these personal stories and, and, and just all these, you take us inside the different studios and just walk, you even, you know, to point out to someone who might be thinking about reading it, like we're barely touching on many of the stories. You talk about um, the genesis of the band, you know, Interpol haunting them, uh, you know, 2017 and indie rock. But I mean, so there's a lot to it. Uh, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about the process and just what it meant to you to to bring this book to life. Sure. I mean, it was a dream come true just, you know, to get to write my first real book um, and to do so, you know, like working and talking with uh, one of my favorite bands. So, I mean, it was amazing. Uh, it was also, um, you know, it was a <clears throat> it was a great work. And, you know, like uh, like I, I tried not to put myself into the book too much um because like like i don't know i i didn't think it necessary i wanted it to be about them and the album but um you know i I felt a lot of parallels you know the struggle of crafting this this largest ever you know work um for myself while you know learning and trying to tell the story of this band making up to that point their most ambitious complicated um challenging work um there were a lot of kind of parallels like that um down to you know like like the 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 depression that uh like aaron was going through or you know like uh, it's it was it just as well as you know the weird parallels and you know terms of like the political atmosphere or everything you know like it it felt weird (laughs) how how many you know how how many parallels i was feeling um the process itself was just, you know, it was, it was fascinating becoming like a, uh, a, a, a sort of detective. It felt like, you know, putting together, you know, when you put together an oral history like this, where you interview 20 plus people um, for an event that you weren't there for, that happened 15 years ago. Like I, there were a lot of, it was challenging, but, it, you know, fascinating to, to take all these perspectives and all these stories and all this, you know, evidence online and everything uh, and elsewhere and, and, you know, try to take all those puzzle pieces and lay them into a, uh, you know, a coherent, true story and narrative um, that, you know, that, that, uh, that makes sense and feels true. Um, um, it was, you know, I can't imagine doing it without the band <laughs> uh, and, you know, all of their generosity in terms of sharing their their memories um, and sometimes conflicting each other's memories. Uh, that was funny, too. <laughs> Some things yet to be resolved. And that's, you know, I think that's a cool lesson, a meaningful lesson, you know, for uh, any sort of history, like, you know, that's written down. Like, you can, I realize, you know, you can try your best to tell the truest story ever and and you can only get so close to the truth based on you know the degradation of memories and you know like perceptions and everything the lack of evidence but um but yeah it was a it was it was an epic puzzle (laughs) and i i'm excited to move on to the next one (laughs) cool that's awesome well you knocked it out of the park it was i don't think i've been more excited to pick up a, a 33 and a third um you know i just love the album and you know, you could tell and you didn't you like when you said you didn't want to put yourself in there, you were, like you didn't. But it was also fun as a fan to see, you know, I could tell you were probably super excited about it. And, and there's a passion that rings through it that that 
would only come through someone someone who loves the band. So I I really appreciate you coming on here to talk about one of my favorite bands as well, one of my favorite albums. And thank you for doing this the the work here to to let us know what was going on in those studios, what was happening <laughs> when they brought this uh you know like you know we danced upon it earlier but it is a classic it might not have been an instant classic but it's a classic and you really gave us some incredible insight and i appreciate the uh additional insight of this interview so thank you ryan i really appreciate your time (laughs) thank you so much michael Stay out super late tonight Picking apples, making pies Put a little something in our lemonade And take it with us, put life away In a fake empire We're half awake in a fake empire Tiptoe through our shiny city With our diamond slippers on Do our gay ballet nights Bluebirds on our shoulders We're half awake in a fake empire We're half awake in a fake empire This podcast is in the loop, the Legion of Osiris podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love. Get in the loop at OsirisPod.com.